0: Alright, so we're starting a new series today called The Kingdom of God. The Kingdom of God is one of those themes that goes from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through to the very end of the Bible. It's literally in the first chapter of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible, and it stretches all the way through. And it's one of those things that, that frames how you see Scripture, it frames your understanding of how you understand the Bible, and it deeply impacts our, what we call, worldview, our way of seeing the world that we're in, and when you understand how the kingdom of God works and how God designed things to work, then you can look at a chaotic world like we live in today, and you can see, oh, this, this all makes sense. We, we may not like it, we may wish it was a different way, but, we, but it all makes sense. So we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about the kingdom of God and trying to get a good, biblical, biblically thematic understanding of this idea so that it can paint our understanding of Scripture and of life. A few years ago, Netflix came out with a series called Stranger Things. Anyone seen that series, Stranger Things? Okay, yeah. It was, it was like a huge, what do you call that? A uh, cult sensation? Is that what it's called? A cult classic? Kind of a... Is that is that the right term? Okay. Has a bunch of stuff from the '80s in it, so kids that grew up in the '80s like seeing like seeing a lot of those things. Um, it's fun to watch watch TV shows recreate what life was like back when we were growing up as kids. Um, but it, it blew up, it became super popular, of course, we live out in the country. we don't have good enough internet to stream a show like Stranger Things. So it was super popular for two or three years until Netflix finally put it out on DVDs, and we were able to watch it. So we watched it we, we like caught up with the craze. Two years after the fact, and then the same thing with the second season. We waited two years until the second season, and, and the third season. I, I uh, actually went to a great deal of effort to put uh, stuff on my computer so that I could download it from Netflix, so we could watch it sooner than the DVDs came out. So we have watched it. Um, in it, they they have what they call the upside down, and it's kind of this whole the the whole premise of the of the show is built on. The Upside Down, which is supposed to be an alternate dimension that exists in parallel with the human world. So there's a, an alternate world that exists in parallel with the human world that we're used to. And everything in this alternate dimension is linked together in a hive mind that is controlled by the Mind Flayer, F-L-A-Y-E-R, Mind Flayer, which is an enormous superorganism. All right, so I'm just kind of get, painting the context, painting the uh, scene here. This hive mind has a group of predators called demagogans, or uh, sometimes they call them demagogs or demogorgans, demagogs, depends on who you're talking to, because that's a term pulled out of, uh, out of uh, something else. But these, these are predators that come out of the alternate reality to hunt and kill humans, So on November 6, 1983, during an experiment hosted at Hawkins National Laboratory, a child test subject named Eleven made interdimensional contact with a demogorgon and unintentionally opened the gate between the two dimensions. So a, a, a young girl who's named Eleven because she's an experiment. Through this gate the mind flayer began using its dominion over the upside down to invade the town of Hawkins, spreading biological matter with the assumed goal of eventually invading the entire earth. It's essentially a clash of two kingdoms uh, uh, that occupy the same physical world, only in two different disconnected dimensions. At least they had been disconnected until someone opened the gate between the two. Well, ever since this, this series came out, there have been a lot of comparisons to, to the upside down and, and, the, and the weird world of Stranger Things to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world that, uh, that we live in. People have talked about the kingdom of God being an upside down kingdom, and you'll hear that phrase thrown, thrown about quite a bit. And, and they, what they mean is that the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of the world that we live in. But I actually resist that idea. I think it's the other way around. So I, I think, and I think we can make a pretty good case, that we are living in the upside down. The world that we're, that we're surrounded by right now is the upside down world. It's the world that's been flipped on its head. And there is a different reality that is right side up, that is how God intended it to be. But right now, we're in this upside-down world. We're in this upside-down kingdom where everything is wrong, where nothing is going like it's supposed to. And even, even the most non-Christian, farthest away from God person observing how our world is going right now says things are not as they should be. Right? And it doesn't take an expert to look to look at the world and say something went wrong. Something is messed up about the world we live in. Well, the world we live in is under the control of what the Bible calls the evil one, the devil, and Satan. You can read that in 1 John five nineteen that the world is under the control of the evil one. So I'm going to list off a bunch of scriptures for you. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul is saying that he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers, he's talking to Christians, and he says, as for you, before your previous state was you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So you were dead in this old way of life, And in this old way of life, you were dead because you followed the ways of this world and you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And that is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So as we look around the world today, we can see people who are trapped in the same kind of a bondage where they followed the ways and the ruler of this world, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobeying. Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration when we saw, when uh, Peter, James, and John saw this intergalactic moment where Jesus was was glorified, he was was illuminated, he he was literally transformed, the word means metamorphous transform. At that moment when, when the disciples heard that, Jesus says, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So here at this moment that we're starting to head into the remembering of this season where Jesus is about to be crucified, there's a, a, an, a, an amazing change that happens in the world. The prince of this world was about to be driven out. And it was connected to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. John 12, 32 and 33. The world is under the control of the evil one. We can see this in, in the garden, or not the garden, in the wilderness, in the desert. When Jesus goes out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, we can see that, that the whole world and all the kingdoms of the world are under the control of Satan. And, and the reason we know that is because Satan actually offers to give Jesus control of what he has control over. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor all this i will give you the devil said if you will bow down and worship me so the devil knowing what was about to happen knowing that the time had come where he was going to start being driven out because remember the devil knows scripture he's he's very well studied in the scriptures Um, So because he probably likely knew that he was about to be driven out, he wanted to supplant the whole mission at the very beginning and offer Jesus the rule of his kingdom instead. So the world is under the control of the evil one, and the world is the system and structure that's around us on a daily basis. Even though the earth and everything in it, as the psalmist says, belongs to God, the psalmist says the earth and everything in it, the fullness thereof, belongs to God, God has turned the dominion of the earth over to the devil. As J.R.R. Tolkien once said, Certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted is gentlest and most humane is still soaked with a sense of exile. We live in the upside-down world of the devil, a world that has echoes of Eden in it, a world where we find ourselves constantly longing for some sense of peace and stability and and common sense, but we never taste it. Why? Why? Why is it this way? Why is the world this way? That's what we're going to be digging into in this series. Soaked with a sense of exile, longing for Eden, utopia. You can see this desire for utopia in the world today. Promise of utopia, a world where everything's going to be okay, and we somehow never ever arrive. I've got a question that I'd love for you to answer. If you tried to summarize Jesus's teachings in one sentence, what would it be? If you tried to summarize Jesus's teachings in one sentence, what would it be? I'll give you a minute to respond. Two greatest commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. One long run on sentence. <laughs> yes. Liberating? Yeah, good. If you tried to summarize Jesus' teaching in one sentence, what would it be? Redemption? So we've gone from one sentence down to one word. We're doing even better. How else? How else might you summarize Jesus' teaching? Love of God and love of man, good? I would just look at it like switching kingdoms, like you have about right from the upside down the world and the right side up world if you want to use that it's that switching, switching kingdoms between the kingdom darkness and between the light, living with in different kinds of spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shad says glorifying the kingdom, so kind of in line with what Russ was saying. Anybody else? you say bringing the kingdom of God? Yeah, okay, so what did Jesus talk about more than any other thing? Now, uh, You guys are supposed to say the wrong answers first, and then we reveal the right answer. So pretend Russ didn't say that. What do you think Jesus talked about more than any other thing? <laughs> what? Tacos? Tacos? The right answer is the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which are synonymous terms, more than any other thing. In fact, in the book of Matthew, he uses the phrase, Jesus Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven at least 54 times. The phrase comes up in the book of Matthew. It's used over 150 times in the New Testament and a lot of New Testament writers wrote about it, but the bulk of those come from Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Let me just give you a little flavor of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. At the very beginning of his ministry, all four gospels put the same words in Jesus' mouth. So when Jesus starts preaching and teaching, the first thing that he says, he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near.'" Mark chapter 1, verse 14, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the Sermon on the Mount, at the very beginning of it, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A few verses later, a few sentences later, Jesus says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later in the sermon, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, when he's praying and teaching about how to pray. And and a little bit later, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Those are six of Jesus, of the times that Jesus mentions the kingdom and the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to go read the Gospel of Matthew, I'd strongly encourage you to do it and just underline every time you see the word kingdom or kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven or rule or reign, look for those words and it'll be an interesting study for you. Another question I'd love for you to respond with, when someone uses the phrase the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what comes to mind? So when Jesus says... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What comes to mind when you picture the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? People living in God's will. See, there we go with the right answer again. What typically comes to mind when you think the kingdom of heaven? Invasion? Good. For some, when we think kingdom of heaven, we probably think heaven, right? When we think the idea of, of the kingdom of heaven, uh, probably the first picture that would come to mind would be God ruling in heaven. God, God ruling in this place that is other than here, right? Right? We would say the kingdom of heaven is this, this the world that's, that, that is not a part of the world and the existence that we know. And because of our understanding of the word kingdom, I think we tend to then separate God out of the kingdom of this world, which is what we're a part of, the, 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 the dominion of the devil where we live every day, And we put God in this kingdom of heaven that is separated out, and it's a different place. And that's probably because of our English word kingdom, which refers to a place. For example, if I talk about the British kingdom, what do you typically think of? Yeah, the islands, right? You think of the, of the territory, or you might think of all of the territories that they, that they conquered and ruled over, but it, you would think of the British kingdom, and you'd think of their territories. You'd think of the place. But in Greek and Hebrew, the word kingdom actually has a little bit different meaning. It doesn't refer specifically to a place. The place is implied... But the word kingdom refers to the activity of the kingdom, right? It refers to ruling or reigning. It refers, refers to the rule or reign of a king with the place that the king is ruling over implied. So the British kingdom, would, if the Bible was talking about kingdom, it would talk about the rule and reign of Queen Elizabeth with the place of the UK implied, right? Right? So there's a little bit of a difference. So so when the Bible's talking about kingdom, it's not talking specifically about a place. It's talking about the rule and reign of God or the rule and reign sometimes of kings in, in the Old Testament, sometimes the rule and reign of the prince of this world. Throughout Scripture, you'll see that idea. But it's using the idea of ruling when it talks about kingdoms. We tend to think of God's kingdom as a place other than here. We think of God's kingdom being in heaven, where God's will is just done because it's heaven. But this, where we are, is very clearly not heaven. And God's will is not done here in the same way that God's will is done in heaven. So there's a reality in which God rules and reigns, but it seems pretty clear that 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 reality does not exist on earth. When Jesus started his ministry, teaching and preaching that the kingdom of god is near or sometimes he would say at hand or here he was saying that that he was making the announcement that god is starting to reestablish his rule and reign on the earth so jesus coming as the messiah was a way for him to establish his rule and reign on earth that means he was starting to reestablish the ruling and reigning of his will his desire On earth, what God willed for the earth would start to happen in an ever increasing measure. Another question. When is the word rule or reign first used in the Bible? When is the word rule or reign first used in the Bible? Yeah, Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible. Verse 27 and 28, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Yeah, so Shad got it right. He said Genesis. The first time the word rule or reign is used in Scripture, it is connected to the creation of us humans. God creates humans and in the same paragraph, in the same thought, he connects ruling and reigning to our image, our being made in the likeness of God. Now remember, in Hebrew, there's no such thing as periods and punctuation. So... So what we just read was all one thought, all one section. It's all tied together as one idea. So it's not like there's the image of God and then we stop and then we have the idea of being fruitful and filling the earth and ruling over the earth. It's all one thought, one idea, all connected together. So being made in the image of God is connected to ruling over creation, now we, and I have to confess, I probably, I've probably focused on this too much. We've, we've restricted our understanding of being made in the image of God too much to our makeup. Right? We, when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're probably talking about being like God in body, mind, and soul or spirit. Right? We, we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a spirit. And so we say that's how God made us in his image. And there's nothing else in all of creation that has the same makeup as we do in the same way that we do. So that is what sets us apart. And we talk about our physical makeup. Some, some cultures would maybe bring in the morality and how we've tried to separate ourselves from, from the rest of creation because we have morals, right? We, we, we don't want to kill others and eat them. That's something that only happens in the animal kingdom. It doesn't happen in the human kingdom, right? So, so we might stretch it to that, but we very rarely ever connect the idea of being made in the image of God all the way out to the fact that God made us in his image for a purpose to rule and reign on the earth. So we can't disconnect image of God. From ruling and reigning over creation in God's perfect world in the garden the primary purpose of our existence was to rule and reign over the earth as his image bearers God created you and me he created Adam and Eve his his original originally intended purpose was that we would bear his image Represent the image of God among all creation and rule and reign over creation as his representatives. Well, being made in God's image has several significant implications for our lives. We all have been given a a unique status among creation. We often talk about the dignity that comes with being made in the image of God, that all people are made in God's image and and deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. But we may add a word to that. There is a divine dignity that comes with being a human, that being made in God's image has a divine dignity to it because we are made in God's image to rule and reign as God's representatives. Another implication is that, that God created humans to represent Himself through us on the earth. Represent, break the word down, it means to represent, right? To to represent God to the rest of all creation. So we as 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 image-bearers of, of the divine God who made us like him are to represent to the world the image of God. And being made in God's image, being representatives of God's image, means that there is a way to live that coincides with God's kingdom. Now, this word rule or reign, don't, don't get all weird and, and worried about it. This word rule or reign, it means to have authority, to oversee, to steward, and manage. So one of the examples that that we use is that God gave us authority as his image bearers to oversee, steward, and manage. Our primary resource to steward and manage is creation. God wants us to to oversee, steward, and manage the kingdom, the, the creation of his kingdom in a way that honors him. But being in this kingdom means that we participate in the kingdom way of living and ruling and when we do so, we're actually participating in royal activity. Have you thought about that? We, you know, there's that song. We were made to be royals. It's actually true. You know, if, if you if you if you kind of scour. Scour a lot of the songs and music and and, and art and things of of our culture and society, you'll find what Tolkien was talking about. You'll you'll find echoes of Eden. You'll find this this longing for the way things were and, and just missing the mark, constantly missing the mark, but still hearing those themes in there because we actually are made to be royals. We are made to be divine being made in God's image. And I want to prove that to you from Psalm 8. Psalm 8, verse 3, the psalmist says, When I consider your heavens, so imagine yourself as the psalmist, and we can do this out where we live, out in the country. I often do it when I'm putting the dog away for the night. I'll just stand out there and I'll just look up at all the stars and I consider the heavens. And they're massive. And sometimes you can just see little pockets of stars that are galaxies and you know you can see the Milky Way that goes across the sky kind of from from the southwest to the northeast and you can see the, the Milky Way and you know that there are hundreds of millions of stars in the Milky Way and then you can look out this way and you can see another galaxy and you know there's hundreds of millions, maybe even more stars in that galaxy and you can see oftentimes another galaxy off in the west and you consider the heavens The work of God's fingers, the moon and the stars which God set into place. And we ask the question, what is mankind? That you are mindful of them. So when you look out into all of creation and you're out in creation and you're looking up at the mountains and you see this massive mountain and you think of yourself, who am I? Like I'm just this small little puny human in comparison to all of the expanse of the ocean. As you stand out at the ocean and you look out at how big the ocean is, you think, who am I? I'm I'm so small. I'm such a small person. The psalmist, uh, you know, thousands of years ago was asking the same question. Who am I? What is mankind? That you are mindful of them human beings that you care for them. You have made them, listen carefully, you have made them, God God made us a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You're crowned. Did you know that? You are crowned with glory and honor. Because you're made in the image of God, you are crowned with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds, all the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. God put everything under our feet. God gave mankind dominion, leadership, control, authority over everything in creation. And the psalmist finishes that, that sentiment with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Which is how a good kingdom person would respond. A good kingdom person would look look at the expanse of the stars and the expanse of the ocean and the vastness of all of creation and see how great it all is and, and, and contrast how small we are and yet realize that God made us, he chose us of his creation and crowned us with glory and honor and put us over all of that as his image bearers, as his representatives. God made us in his image to rule and reign in his way as his representatives on earth. When he made us, God established a way in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God established a way that his will would be accomplished through us on this earth. So if this is why God created us and the way in which God designed for things to work, What happened why does everything seem so upside down well we're going to be talking about that next week we'll leave you wanting a little bit more understanding God made things to work in a certain way and they are not working that way and we're going to take us through the cross and the resurrection and try to get an understanding of how things are supposed to be let's pray together Heavenly Father, thank you that you made us in a way that that we not only have a responsibility and a duty, that we don't just have things that we're supposed to be doing as, as mindless drones and servants who only do what you say to do, but that you made us With dignity, a divine dignity being made in your image and likeness. Thank you, Father, for the the eight billion people around the planet who reflect that dignity. The the peoples peoples of all races and nations, ethnicities, backgrounds, creeds, and all the different things that we can imagine, all as vast as they may be, represent the image of God. And just like we might be overwhelmed by looking at the vastness of the stars, we might be overwhelmed by looking at the vastness of the ocean, help us to to be overwhelmed also by looking at the vastness of the human race and see just how amazing and great and glorious you are that with 8 billion souls on this planet, still there's more of you to know and to understand that were we to combine all of the people on the planet, we still would only have a, a small taste of who you really are. You are a great and glorious God. You are, you, are, you are immense, and you are beyond measure. You're beyond our understanding. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I pray, Father, that as we, as we ponder this idea being made in your image, that you would help us, that you would start to reframe the way that we see the world around us, and that you would use us to be image bearers in in the darkness of this world, that we would start to walk as sons and daughters of the the Most High God, crowned with the glory and honor of the King of kings and Lord of lords, That, that we are made in the image and likeness of Christ that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we have an inheritance alongside Christ as we labor alongside Christ in the work that was given to us. Help us, Father, to see the greater call that you've put on us and to embrace that in more and more areas of our lives, that we may go out and be your representative, shining brightly the light of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ into a very dark and upside-down world. In Jesus' name, amen.